Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Brave Church Podcast, and thanks for listening. At the end of this talk, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook or Instagram, where you can get even more connected to what's going on in our community. But most importantly, we hope the following talk inspires you to take your next step in finding or following Jesus. Here we go, week two, love story. You guys ready for this? Okay, we're in Ruth chapter 2. If you want to go there, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 13. Let's get started. It says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. At this time, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and mother and your homeland and you came to live with a people that you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. She said, you have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. Today's talk is titled, Finding Favor with God and People. Um, If you've never been to church before, you hear the word favor, you might think of good fortune, good luck, things going your way, someone liking you. The English dictionary defines favor as approval, support, or, or a liking for someone or something. But looking at the Hebrew word in this passage, we see the word halat, meaning grace, charm, pleasant, agreeable qualities, or popularity. In a religious context, we tend to think of favor through the lens of extra support from God. God's blessing, his hand is on you, he's with you, he's opening doors, good things are happening, we attribute it to God. In life, favor can make all the difference. And not just favor with God, favor with people. What does favor with people look like? Favor with people is when you're applying for a job, you're interviewing, you're trying to get a job, and especially here in the Bay Area, maybe there's a hundred other people that are just as qualified for that job, right? But you're talking to this person and you guys connect and they decide they want you for the role. 
Or maybe you're trying to buy a home and there's uh, all these offers and maybe there are plenty of offers that are just as good as yours, but you've attached a letter sharing your story, uh, a little bit about yourself, or maybe you got to meet the owner in person. And for whatever reason, they have favor and they decide they want you to have their home. One of my favorite forms of favor is when I'm at the Apple store and my stuff gets fixed for free. Does that happen for any of you? Okay, every now and then. Uh, but favor is any time that people give to you, support you, or offer a hand, and you didn't necessarily earn it or deserve it. They didn't have to. They chose to. Now, favor with God is when circumstances in our lives unfold in an unexplainably good way. When we see God opening unexpected doors that maybe we weren't even knocking on. When things just seem to go our way and we know that it's because we're experiencing a season or a moment of favor from God. Last week, we talked about being faithful in the valleys and on the mountaintops. Like there's no promise when you decide to follow Jesus that you'll be in a season of favor or a season where everything is going good all of the time. There are valleys, there are difficult times, times of testing, times of difficulty in discovering the will of God in those dark and dangerous or difficult times can be one of the greatest journeys of our faith. But there are other times where it's as if we're on the top of a mountain, we think we're at the highest elevation that we could go, and it's almost like God says, but now we're going to walk on the clouds. Now I'm going to open this door or do something in your life that you couldn't have imagined, but you know it's me. When you know that you're not that good, that you couldn't have made that happen, you couldn't have forced it, you couldn't have figured it out, it must be God. Listen, it's a guarantee in this life that we will go through hard times. And so I just want to make sure and be extra clear before we even get into some of the principles of favor that we find in Ruth, I just want to make sure that we're really clear because sometimes in some Christian circles, it's as if everything's not going right, something must be wrong. But that's not reality, that's not life, and that's not what the Bible teaches. So we're going to pray before we get into this. If you'd bow your heads and join me, let's pray. God, I pray for every single person here, your sons and your daughters, and your heart for them is good. You only desire good for us. And so God, I pray that whatever we might be needing favor for in our lives, whether it's work-related, family-related, marriage-related, God, I pray that we would be open, that we would have an open mind and open hearts to the things that you want to show us about how your favor works. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to look at principles of favor from the life of Ruth. Let's take a look back at verse 2 together. It says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Number one, faithfulness is a magnet for favor. Faithfulness is a magnet for favor. Ruth was searching and she was hoping to find favor. Now, we know from the rest of the passage that she finds way more than she was hoping for or that she thought she might found. But what can we learn from this point in her journey? Why did Ruth find favor when sometimes others don't? Ruth was faithful. 
She was faithful to her mother-in-law. She was faithful to God. And she was faithful in her diligent pursuit. She was faithful. Um, When we hear the word magnet, we probably think of the first time we played with a magnet, right? When we were kids and things are sticking to it and paper clips and stuff. We don't even use paper clips anymore, but... We think of, you know, sticking them together, pulling them apart, or maybe you think of magnets on your refrigerator, holding up photos. I did a little research because I was curious, what all are magnets used for? Magnets are really, they can be really powerful. They're not just for day-to-day things. And so one of the uses of magnets is, is they're used inside metal detectors. Metal detectors are used to find stuff, to see stuff that we can't see. People use metal detectors when they go on a treasure hunt. It allows us to see what's below the surface or what we might find that we, that we can't see with our eyes. When Ruth went out into the fields, her faithfulness was like a magnet. Her faithfulness to God, her, it was the faithfulness that started before she even got into the field was beginning to attract something that God wanted to do in her life. She's searching for it. Some of you know what it's like to be in a new place, to move to a new area, maybe when you moved here, and not know anyone, and you're starting all over. Some of you literally know what it's like to be a foreigner. Maybe you came here from another country. I have extended family now that came here from Mexico, and they know what it's like to completely start over, to be in a position where you're completely dependent on the favor that you might find. You need new friends. You need new uh, work connections, or whatever that might look like. Some of you know exactly what that's like. Others of you have family members that know what that's like. When all you can do is be faithful. Sometimes when we set out on this journey of faithfulness, it's very clear because we only have one option. We're out of options. It's, hey, let's go in the field and see what happens, right? Sometimes we have multiple options, but we feel God leading us in a direction. And so we need to be faithful to go in that direction. All you can do is be faithful. If you're faithful to God and you're faithful in your pursuit of the things that he's asking you to do or the direction that he's leading you, you can be completely at peace. You can be still because you're gonna find whatever God wants you to find. Whatever is meant to come into your life will come into your life. Faithfulness is a magnet for favor. Some people think that they need to force their way into something that they need to make something happen, manipulate their circumstances, earn the approval of others, earn the approval of God. But the way of God is so much simpler. It's be faithful and you'll find favor. There are two primary contexts that we tend to seek out favor. There's favor for salvation and there's favor for success. Sometimes it's because we need salvation, we need saving in an area. Other times, it's because we want to be more successful or achieve something. Ruth needed a savior. She was desperate. In her culture, she needed a kind man to be generous towards her. In the Old Testament, God gave instructions to his people of how they were to care for widows. And he gave two instructions in particular. They're both found in the book of Deuteronomy. The first one was on an ongoing basis, there was special considerations given for how they harvested their fields. In Deuteronomy 24, it says, when you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, don't go back and get it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, 
and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And then the second instruction, the second way that they were to provide for widows and foreigners and and orphans was in Deuteronomy 14. It says at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns so that the Levites who have no allotment or inheritance of their own and the aliens, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied so that the Lord your God may bless you in your work and in your hands. So so in addition to the ongoing provision, every three years there was supposed to be a special provision. But we learn from a number of passages that the people of Israel didn't follow through. They weren't obedient in their giving and in their generosity and they, they weren't helping these widows and these orphans and these foreigners. And so that's why Ruth and Naomi find themselves in this position. Now, that angered God. That, that, that was injustice. And so here we have Ruth, and, and if I'm Ruth, and I've made it this far, and nobody wants to help me, and nobody wants, you know, I'm here in this place, and they even have laws and rules that they're supposed to follow in their country that aren't helping me, I might be thinking, hey, it's time to go back. Let's go live with my mom and dad, right? Like, let's go back where we came from. But no, instead, Ruth takes initiative. And she goes out into the fields. Now, she asked her mother, Naomi, her mother-in-law, she asked her out of courtesy if it's okay. And Naomi responds with just two words. These are two words in the Greek. She says, you may go, my daughter. Naomi is helpless. She's down and out. She's hopeless. She, she's given up. She, just, she only speaks two words. But Ruth is capable, and she's active, and she's ready to go. Um, women don't need men in our culture the way they did in Ruth's time. I was walking by a bookstore the other day, and I saw this book, and I don't know if it's a good book. I haven't read it, but it stood out to me. It said, the title of the book was, In This One, The Princess Saves Herself. And that's our culture. That's our time. We have Wonder Woman. We have Captain Marvel. Our fairy tales are changing. But as much as our fairy tales and the narrative of our fairy tales is changing, whether you're a man or a woman, we can all relate to needing a metaphorical Boaz, a person of influence and power that can help us when we're in a place of desperation. Maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus. And I believe with all my heart that God can save your soul, that he desires to save your soul. That's what we're all about is helping people find Jesus. But what we're looking at here in this story actually isn't that kind of saving. It's a different kind of saving. What we're we're looking at here is a saving for your marriage. It's a saving for your career. It's a saving from addictive habits that might be taking your life in a direction you don't want to go. It's a saving from self-destruction. It's a saving from greed that would like to bankrupt your soul. I wonder what some of us in a room this size need saving for. Yes, God wants to save your soul but he also wants to do so much more. We can't stop there. Maybe you need saving from a broken family. Maybe you need a spiritual mother or father. This last week, I got to take my mom on a bucket list trip to Paris, and it was so much fun. She always wanted to go. It it was an incredible memory, all the, the experiences we had. But one of the things that was really cool, so I have this friend, his name is Sean, 
and we've known each other since middle school. We grew up together, and he, he even lived with us at different times. And so he married a French girl and lives in southern France. He's been there for about five years. And so she knew that, and she was like, hey, is Sean going to be able to come up and meet us? I'm like, no, it's like six hours by train. He can't make it. Well, three days into the trip, he surprised her, and he showed up. And so this is a photo. Check this out. This is right after they reunited, and she's so happy. And she was so happy that she said, you know, I love this trip. I love that I'm here, but I'm all about relationships, and having both of my sons here is so amazing. And I said, what about Isaac? (laughs) She literally said that. I'm like, wow, she's so happy. She forgot she has another son. (laughs) But the reason that Sean became like a blood relative and found favor as a spiritual son in our house is that when we were in high school, his parents went through a really bad divorce. And what the enemy meant for harm in his life and to turn him away from God actually brought him to a place of desperation. And instead of of, of reacting and turning away from God, he went on a hunt for what his heart really desired, which was to be faithful and be a part of a family. And so faithfully, He was at church serving, and faithfully, he was on the front row taking notes, and faithfully, he was in our kitchen eating all of the best snacks. He wanted to be wherever we were, everywhere we went, but his faithfulness was a magnet for favor. I wonder what you need from God that might require a greater level of faithfulness. Ruth needed the help of a stranger. She faithfully pursued it with simplicity and integrity. And like a magnet, look at what it attracted. Verse five, it says, Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does this young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab and with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvester. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Number two, favor is found at the intersection of fear and faith. Favor is found at the intersection of fear and faith. When we read Ruth's story, it's easy to skip over just how brave Ruth was. I mean, it's easy to think, okay, so this was her only option. So she just went into the field. She's begging. She's hoping she's going to find some food and hoping it'll turn out well. But she was actually putting herself in an incredibly vulnerable position. Boaz acknowledges it. See, there's something about this story that's not so widely known. Some scholars actually believe that when Boaz asked his foreman about Ruth, and he responds at the end of verse seven, he's kind of confused and kind of embarrassed. Look at what he says. He says, she came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. These last seven words could be translated as if he's saying, uh, you know, and then she just went home for a little bit. He's making a lame excuse because when she stopped to get a drink of water, it would have presented the perfect opportunity for the young male reapers to do what we would consider today sexual harassment. This was a dangerous place for her to be. But clearly, 
she had faith that she would find favor. It's at this intersection of fear and faith that she just so happens to meet Boaz. Uh, There's a saying, I'm sure you've heard it, it's a Latin proverb, often said three different ways, that fortune favors the bold, or fortune favors the strong, or fortune favors the brave. It's been used in militaries throughout history. It's used to this day in the U.S. Army. When we read stories about some of the most impactful human beings, some of the greatest world changers throughout history, there's always a point in their lives where they decide to step into this intersection of fear and faith, where there is the potential for the most to be gained. Um, I imagine that that's how it was for the first followers of Jesus. See, the first followers of Jesus, the disciples, and we say that Jesus said, come follow me, and they dropped their nets, right? It would have been a huge upgrade for a rabbi to come by them as fishermen and say, hey, come be my disciples, come follow me. See, they, they'd been skipped over. They didn't make the cut. They didn't have a rabbi that wanted to teach them. But when they dropped their nets, they're leaving businesses they established. They're leaving their family. And, and, and I have to imagine that for some of them, there might have been the thought, man, what if Jesus realizes that like we got skipped for a reason? <laughs> Right? What if he realizes that we really weren't the top picks? Maybe he's confused, but should we just go with it? Right? Or then after Jesus, at the beginning of the church, when people decided to become followers and they knew that they might be forfeiting their earthly lives with a hope for eternity, that they could be thrown into an arena and eaten by lions or crucified themselves, the more that's at stake, the more we're afraid and the more faith we're going to need. But that's also where there's the potential for the most to be gained. Favor is found at the intersection of fear and faith. There is a reward for those who are willing to step out as God calls them. Ruth had an opportunity to do something so incredible for her mother-in-law, but there wasn't even the possibility if she didn't first say, I'll put myself in danger, I'll go out into the fields. I'll look for favor. I wonder if God's put anything on your heart to do for others that feels a little too risky or dangerous. When I was a kid, I used to ride to work with my papa every summer in high school, and he owned a concrete business, and it was really hard work. We'd remove driveways that were cracked with jackhammers and pour new ones, and and we had to leave so early, and the summers in Sacramento were incredibly hot, like 110 sometimes, 112, super hot, and so we had to leave really early in the morning, because if you waited too long and it got too hot, then the concrete would dry too fast. And so on these long drives to work, he would always tell me his life stories, and he viewed this as an opportunity to pass on lessons, and he had some great stories because, I mean, he was pretty old even then. And he grew up in Boston, like in the 40s and 50s. And so this, you know, you know, East Coaster with an accent and all these crazy stories. And I believed all of them. So, uh, but I remember this one time we were talking about risks and he said something that I'll never forget. He said, Samuel, when you're old, you're not going to be afraid of the things you've done. You're going to be afraid of the things you didn't do. And he just said, hey, look, look, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall on your face, but you're going to get back up. But what's going to be scarier is if you hang back and you don't do those things and you don't take those risks. So like Ruth, 
we all have a choice to make. Will we hang back where we feel safe and comfortable or will we step into this intersection of fear and faith? Look what Ruth found. Ruth was hoping for some leftovers and she found more than she ever would have dreamed. And this is how she responds after Boaz, Boaz just gives this list of these seven things that he's gonna do for her. At this, she bows down with her face to the ground. She's asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? When she fell to the ground, her face would have been to the ground. She was extremely grateful. She was completely blown away by all that he gives to her. Then Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland, and you came to live with a people that you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Number three, when we love like God, favor overflows. You know what Ruth and Boaz had in common. I mean, they could not have been more different, their backgrounds, their social standings, but they had something really powerful in common. They were both doing hesed. Hesed is a Hebrew word for defining love that's characterized by kindness and mercy. Ruth is showing great kindness to her mother-in-law. She's showing mercy to Naomi, but Boaz is showing great kindness and mercy, mercy, excuse me, to Ruth. Hesed is the same kind of love that Jesus says in the Gospel of John when he's saying, it's by this love that people will know that you are my disciples. It's by the kindness and the mercy that you show to one another that people are gonna know, oh, they're, they're with Jesus, they're with me. He's doing Hesed, Boaz is doing his said, he's being kind and merciful. And Ruth is not the only one that gets rewarded. He finds the love of his life. It's unlikely that any of us will find ourselves in this kind of situation in a field, right? Out harvesting, I mean, unless you're in the wine industry or something, maybe you work in a field. But it's unlikely that, that we'll be in this position, but there are opportunities all around us to be kind and merciful. That attracts God's favor. I got a text from a friend the other night at two in the morning. He's dating this girl and he's really uh, in love with her and he hopes that they get married, but she wants to take a break. And so he asked me to pray that God would give them favor in their relationship. And I thought, wow, that's crazy. He doesn't even know that I've been studying favor all week. I told him I'd pray for him, but here's the thing. No amount of praying on my part is gonna give them God's favor in their relationship if they're not committed to loving well, if they're not committed to kindness and mercy. Marriage takes a soft heart towards one another. It's those little ways that we talk to one another that are actually a really big deal. When we don't just tolerate one another or put up with one another, but when we lean into love and kindness and mercy, it's easy to get married. Well, I say that, it wasn't easy for me to get married. But for most people, it's easy to get to that point, okay? It's easy to get married, but, it, but what's hard is staying married. What's hard is building on that love over time. 
God favors these kinds of marriages. He favors these kinds of friendships and partnerships that are marked by kindness and mercy, and he uses them in incredible ways to bless other people. If you remember one thing today, I hope it's that when we love God's way, favor overflows. God only wants good for your life. He only has good plans for your life. He is a good, good father. Even when bad things happen in our lives, if we love him, he promises to work them for good. And so you can know everything there is to know about favor. You can understand the value of having favor with people or the value of having favor with God, what it's possible, what it's capable of, what it can accomplish. But if you know all of those things and you don't do kindness and mercy, you're left very little because that's how God works that's that's his value system that's what God notices kindness and mercy that comes from the heart I was talking to a woman a few days ago while she was cutting my hair and she told me I told her I'm a pastor and she said you know my seven-year-old daughter she's been asking me to go to church and so we've tried a few but she said you know we went to one and and I, could, I have a lot of tattoos and I could hear women whispering and talking about me and I just felt so unwelcome. I said, you would feel so welcome and brave. I said, I don't have any tattoos, but I know we have a lot of people that do and you should come by. And she's like, yeah, absolutely we're gonna come by. We would love to check it out. She said, you know, churches love to say, come as you are and everyone's welcome. But she said, I don't think most of them really mean it. I read an article just a year ago on CNN and it was talking about people who don't go to church and they actually found because you know so many people in America say they believe in God so it's kind of interesting that so many don't go to church and this article said that most people would actually go if they knew that they would feel welcomed and so brave church imagine the kind of church that we're building imagine the kind of church and community that that we're creating together that is marked by love, that is marked by kindness and mercy. Do you think people feel welcome in this place when it's known for being kind and merciful? Even when we don't agree on everything, even we, when we've had different experiences or come from different backgrounds, but kindness and mercy, that transcends all of those things. That's the kind of church that Jesus came to start. That's a church that these walls can't contain. That's a church that this campus can't contain. As long as Brave Church exists, we will be kind and merciful to people who don't think that they belong in here. And so one more thing. Ruth and Boaz became the parents of Obed. Obed, Obed, excuse me, became the father of Jesse. And Jesse became the father of David. And from the line of King David came Jesus. That's how powerful kindness and mercy between two people in a field is. It led to Jesus, to the line of Jesus. You never know what overflowing favor might do in your life, not just for your benefit, but for the benefit of others. When you start with kindness and mercy, would you stand and worship with me? Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Bay Area, we would love for you to join us at a Sunday gathering in San Ramon. 
For directions, gathering times, or information about our Brave Kids program, visit us at brave.church. Also, if you want to help support what God is doing through Brave, you can give online to the Brave Foundation at brave.church forward slash foundation.